As we listen for God's word, would you pray with me, please? Holy One, we know that your spirit has breathed now into the deep waters of our lives, and you are inviting us to step in with you. And so as we consider your invitation, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts might rise up to meet you and that you will be pleased. I ask this in the name of all that is holy. Amen. I don't know how many of you are native Texans or how many of you just simply live here. That's okay. You know. Because I know how native Texans are. We might be here all day. So we're glad you're here nonetheless. And you know, um, if you live in Texas or if you're a native of Texas, you get the narrative very quickly, right, that Texas has everything bigger, right? Everything is bigger here, and you learn to say that no matter where in the world you find yourself, that Texas has everything bigger. Well, I want to tell you a story this morning about a rancher who lived up to the narrative of Texas. He was a billionaire, and he bought a new ranch much bigger than the one he had before, and he invited some of his associates to come and take a look at the ranch. He drove them all around the 1,500 acres he'd purchased, and he showed them the beauty of it, and then he invited them to his home, which was a big, big, big home and just amazing to them as they looked at it, and then he invited them back behind the house to a pool. The people who were there said it was the biggest pool they'd ever seen. It was gigantic. The interesting thing about the pool was that it was full of alligators. So he gathered everybody around the pool and he began to talk to them. And he said, you know, I am a billionaire and I'm convinced that what made me a billionaire is one value and one characteristic that I hold dear, and that is the value of courage. He said, I believe that is the greatest gift that you can give to the world. He said, so since I value courage so much, I want to propose to all of you here that if there's anyone who's willing to jump in the pool with all the alligators, find their way through the alligators and all the way to the other side of the pool and get out unharmed, I will give you anything you ask for. My money, my land, my houses, whatever, I'll give it to you. Well, everybody thought that was an interesting proposition, but just kind of laughed it off, and he invited them into the house for lunch. As they were headed into the house for lunch with their backs to the pool, Suddenly, they heard a big splash. They turned around, and someone was actually in the pool. A young man now thrashing around, breathless, scared to death, trying to make his way through the alligators and on his way to the other side of the pool. After some death-defying moments, he finally did make it to the other side, and he got out unharmed. He was still breathing hard, and the owner said, I am a man of my word. You are a man of courage, and I will give you anything you ask for. What do you want? The young man, still trying to catch his breath, said, I just want one thing. I want to know who the heck pushed me in that pool. <laughs> so I'm imagining that after this young man dealt with the one who pushed him in the pool that he probably looked back on this part of his life, this story, and thought of it as a bit of a miracle. Now, he probably wouldn't have chosen this little uh, foray for the sake of a miracle, but he might have looked back on it and thought of it as a miracle anyway. It was a good story. I'm sure he told it to his friends many times. The point, however, is that the miracle came to this young man by force, not by choice. It came by force, not by choice. And so miracles are something 
that we need to look at when we think about going into the deep end of the pool of the water. Our gospel lesson today looks at a miracle that is most well-known. Almost anybody can tell you a little bit, at least, about the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. For centuries and still, theologians and historians continue to try to determine what really happened there about that water-walking thing. Some have said, well, surely it must not have really happened like that. There, there must surely be some other explanation that, other than that Jesus just simply walked on top of the water. Even uh, artists have offered renderings and depictions of what they think might have happened, uh, and they do that through their art. So, for example, there is the traditional art depiction of Jesus sort of floating across the water in his robes with bright light around him, just as our traditional picture of it. And then there are other sort of more off-of-the-beat kind of depictions like this one, where Jesus has on long, elongated floats on his feet and has two poles, and that's sort of how he's making his way across the water. And then there's this other one, which is a more modern-day depiction, perhaps, of Jesus in blue jeans and bare feet on, on top of the water holding a shell. Uh, this looks like the gay boy version of Jesus walking on water to me. And then, finally, my favorite are Jesus and Peter in the water, Peter with his floaty, making sure that he can stay on top of the water. So the conversations and the depictions of Jesus walking in the water continue. And as important as that may be, the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, I want us to focus our attention in a different direction today around this story. And I want us to think about and look in on the people in the story who were in the boat. What about them? What were they doing? And I want us to contemplate seriously what was happening for them. And the way I would like to do this is invite you to do something perhaps a little different. And that is, instead of just observing me talking about this miracle or this story, or instead of being just a receiver of what other people have to say about it, I would like for you to put yourself in this story. This self in, yourself in the story that we heard today. And the story was that Jesus sent the disciples off into a boat. He went off to pray and said, you go on to the next place and I'll join you later. They got in the boat and went out onto the sea and a storm, a very horrible storm, began to rage and they became afraid. As they were fearful, they looked out over the water and they saw what they thought was a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And then Jesus spoke to them and they recognized him by his voice. Peter on the boat said, Jesus, is that you? And Jesus said, yes. And Peter said, well, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. So Jesus called his bluff and said, well, come on. So Peter got out of the boat onto the water, and as the storm continued to rage, he was afraid, and he began to sink. Now I want you to put yourself in that story. And I want you to imagine that you're on a boat and the storms around you are so violent that even professional fishermen are having a difficult time keeping the boat from capsizing. I want you to imagine that the waves are so high and the wind is so strong and it is pitch black dark and you have no Dramamine. And in these conditions, I want you to imagine that you've just been invited to get in the water. 
Now that would be quite the proposition even if the sun was out and the water was calm and the air was still. But instead, you're being invited to step into the water with gale force winds, waves crashing over the boat, and it's three in the morning. This is the moment where we're asked to take an adventure. And so I want you to imagine that right in the middle of all of that, you have an insight. You have an insight that right in the middle of the storms of your life, Jesus is passing by. And as Jesus passes by, he is inviting you to take the adventure of your life. And then you're left with a question about what you're going to do. And you know, Peter was left with the same question. He was standing there left with this burning question about what he was going to do. Now, I think that history has been very tough on Peter. We all, if you, you know, if you think about the sermons or classes you've ever been to where you've heard this story about Jesus walking on the water, what we always talk about is how Peter got afraid, lost his faith, and began to sink. But I think history's been really too hard on Peter in that regard because here's what I want you to remember. In the middle of that kind of storm, Peter threw one leg over the boat. And perhaps with white knuckles, he was hanging onto the side, and he threw his other leg across the boat. And then he did something that most of us would never do. He let go. And my friends, for a moment, Peter walked on water. For a moment, Peter walked on water. Somehow, Peter was prepared to meet this miracle. In that moment, he was available for the miracle. You see, the other people in the boat were never going to walk on the water for even a moment because they weren't ever going to get out of the boat. But Peter, for a moment, walked on water. So it really begs the question for us, what does it take to be available like that? And we have to decide. You know what? I don't believe that we have to be available or prepared all the time in order for miracles to happen, by the way. But I do believe this. We often miss everyday miracles because we are so busy hanging on to the side of our boats that we wouldn't know a miracle if it walked up and introduced itself to us. And so what are our boats? What are we clinging to? What are we clinging to? You know what? I don't know what you're clinging to. I don't know what the names of your boats are because um, I'm still busy naming my own. But I do know this. I know that all of our boats, what that means is our boats are something that we won't let go of and we find it so comfortable that we won't let go of it even if it means taking the great adventure with Jesus. That's what our boats are. So if you named it, what would it be? Would it be your job? Is that the boat you cling to? Is it money? Is it a relationship? Is it your ego? Is it safety and security? There are dozens and dozens of names. Only you know that. 
But if we are in this story with Peter, we will be forced to ask ourselves, are we going to be willing to let go of those boats and become water walkers? Or are we going to be boat potatoes? That's really the question. And you know the problem with being a boat potato is that we believe that being in the boat is somehow safer and less risky, when in reality, it is not. Larry Lawden is a philosopher of science who spent the last 20 years researching this thing we call risk management. And he's compiled a book, a paper, about the 19 principles of risk management. And he says that our culture is so gripped with fear of taking any kind of risk that he calls it risk lock, just like gridlock, where we're afraid to go anywhere or do anything. In his 19 principles, and you'll be glad to know I'm not going to do all 19, uh, the very first one is the one I'd like to share with you. He says everything is risky. Everything in life is risky. So there is no such thing as sitting in a boat all safe and secure without risk. Everything in life is risky. And he said, you can go on being a couch potato if you want to, but that would make you one of the more than half, one half million people in America who are taken to the emergency room e each year to be treated for injuries they sustain from falling out of bed. So everything is risky. Everything is risky. So we still have to ask ourselves with Peter, are we going to be boat potatoes or are we going to be water walkers? Now before you can answer that question, it might be important to at least contemplate what it means to be a water walker. And maybe if we look at this story with Peter, we can glean some things about what it means to be a water walker. You know, first of all, water walkers recognize God. Now, I'm sure every preacher you've ever heard says that, okay? But listen to it a little more deeply. Water walkers know that in the normal, everyday course of life, God is there. God is not way off up there somewhere, but God is in those everyday moments. And water walkers expect to find God in those moments. And so they recognize God when God is there. The other thing about water walkers is that they know that fear and growth go together. You know what? The truth is, Fear never goes away. The issue is whether or not we grow through the fear and come out on the other side. It's not a whether fear goes away. And if we're waiting on fear to go away, we'll be waiting a long time and have another excuse to stay in the boat. Fear and growth go together like macaroni and cheese. And so it means that to be in the water with Jesus, you have to denounce any value for safety and absolute security. Because water walkers know fear and growth go together. Water walkers also know that life is richer in the water with Jesus. Now, understand this. You know, do you ever miss the obvious? I do, I'll just say. Here's the thing. Water walkers know 
that the reason you get in the water instead of staying in the boat is because Jesus is in the water. <laughs> and they know that if Jesus is in the water and I'm in the water, then life is richer and deeper. They know that there is more in the water than there is on the boat, and they know that life will never be quite the same in the best of ways because Jesus is in the water. So water walkers seem to know that a miracle awaits, and they're prepared to meet it. When I was about four years old, and by the way, my, my father was also a minister, and at the time was a Southern Baptist minister. So at four, age four, my mother decided it was time for me to uh, go to big church for the first time. She seemed pretty concerned about it. I don't know why. And so we slipped in right at the beginning of the service into the back uh, and sat on the back row. We were going through the service. I was standing up on the pew watching everything, and my dad got up to preach, and somewhere in his sermon he asked a rhetorical question. He said, do you believe in miracles? And then he just sort of let that settle a little bit, and then he said it again. Do you believe in miracles? And then for a third time, for emphasis, he said, do you believe in miracles? Now, by now, I'm on the back row wondering why nobody answered my daddy. <laughs> so I raise my hand and go, I do, daddy. I believe in miracles. <laughs> well, in my own four-year-old way, I believed in miracles then, and I still believe in them today. I will say that it has been more recent in my life that I have begun to understand more about this issue of miracles. How many of you have ever had an emotional bottom where you just hit dead in bottom emotionally? Yeah. Well, me too. Me too. And when that happened to me about 15 years ago, I want to tell you that there was a particular date I was in my room at home and I was laid down, face down, on the floor. The emotional pain I felt was profound. And I was literally begging God to take that away just for a few minutes. I didn't ask him to take it away completely. I just wanted a little bit of relief. You been there? But it was in the middle of feeling that kind of suffering and agony that I had that moment of understanding that Jesus was passing by and that God was not off out there waiting on me to get to a better place but God was right on the floor in the middle of that struggle with me I had to live through the pain and the hurt and I was so clear like I never had been before that I was not alone doing that and for me that was a little moment of miracle because I'm so much more certain today that when I step off into that deep end, Jesus is still in the water. Now, my friends, can I step on your toes a minute? Many of us have invested a lot of time and energy in our boats. Some of us have big fancy boats. Some of us have installed padded deck chairs on our boats. 
Some of us have put in equalizers so that we don't dare get seasick in our boats. We have invested a lot of time and energy. And so being a water walker is no small thing sometimes because we have to let go of all of that. And we have to know that even that big boat is risky. And we have to know that when Jesus asks us on the great adventure, Jesus is saying, it is okay to get in the water. Now, my friends, I don't know where all of you are. Some of you may be huddled in the corner on your boat with your life jacket on and your seatbelt attached. Some of you may have one leg in the water and one leg on the boat. Some of you may be in the water and you can see that the storms are starting to rage. Some of you may have been in the water before and you've come back to the boat. There are all sorts of places that you may be. And this morning, wherever that is, I want to invite you to at least get your toes wet just a little and expand your spiritual comfort zone. And if you do, and you put your feet in the water, I want to promise you two things. One, you'll find God there in the water. And number two, every now and then, you'll walk on water. May it be so. Amen.